church. It's called Believing. We meet at a movie theater, uh, which is a little weird. Um, let me tell you why it's weird. It's weird because I don't really watch that many movies. That's what makes it weird. Uh, I used to. I used to. Like, not, not really in college, but like after college, I started watching movies a lot. It's like when you're, I got married 30 days after graduating from college. I don't know what a bachelor life is. And you have two full-time jobs, and this is just life. You go see a lot of movies, right? So we saw a lot of movies until this little dude was born that they called our son. And uh, we're supposed to be responsible for. So uh, for a season, I saw a lot of movies. Now I have no idea what's going on. I can't tell you the last movie I saw. The only problem is, here's what makes it weird, is I know everything coming out in the theater. Because we're in there every single week. We spend hours in the movie theater. We know things about movie theaters you really don't want to know. Like, I promise you don't want to know. You don't want to know. If I, I don't know what kind of movies you like, but I'm sure there's a type of movie you like, or you got like a favorite movie, because when I said movie, some of you were thinking about, I need to watch that again. Or I'm looking forward to this coming out, right? Like you were thinking of a movie. I, uh, I love this genre of movies, and by genre, I just mean there's one character, and they've done a lot. But have y'all seen the Medea movies? Have I seen the Medea movies? You know what I'm talking about? Medea movies? I heard Boo 2 was a mess, but I haven't seen it yet. But like, Medea movies are, are funny to me. <laughs> I know a lot about Medea. I know a lot about Medea. Here's why I like the Medea. Like, like the, the Medea, the Christmas movie, her, the first Christmas movie. Yes. Man, man, I, I am working to try to figure out a way to incorporate her telling of like the Christmas story <laughs> into something that'll help people see Jesus. I just ain't figured it out yet. But I, but I love it. But here's why: I love her character, right? Like she's got a personality. Even if you've never seen a Medea movie, you. You like you got a picture of who Medea is, right? You got a you got an attitude about it. You got a you got a you got a like you just you feel some things. You see some things when you think about Medea. Some of you are like, I thought he was going to preach. What's he talking about? <laughs> Here's why: We are going to look at a at a little, little story in the scripture tonight about about a lady who ain't even got a name, right? Like she's found her story is in Second Kings, and she ain't got a name. She's called the Shunammite woman. And when you read the Bible, maybe you've done this before. Maybe you've opened up the Bible before and tried to read it, and it just feels very flat because you're like, these are just words. And I, I would like the movie. When does the movie come out? You know, like, like, and you sometimes need some life to be injected into the people you're reading about, the things that you're seeing. What is lady we're going to look at, when I read her story, when I see this little bit that we know about her, I picture Medea. That is exactly who I picture I picture this woman with some attitude, this woman with some sass, this woman that knows where she is going, and you ain't going to be trifling with her. Like, that's what, I, <laughs> that's what I picture when I see the Shunammite woman. Now, the Shunammite woman's awesome. She's great. In fact, if you've ever heard anybody talk about the Shunammite woman, they probably talked about her very positively, because there are a lot of positive characteristics about her life. And you'll see some of those when we read. But there's something about her, a few things, actually that really could be jumbled into this issue I see with her. The interesting thing, it's an issue that I have too. It's an issue that really all of us have, even though we're different ages, even though we've got different majors, even though some of you, maybe you've only been here a time or two, some of you've been with Kai Alpha for a long time. It's an issue we all have, and it's this idea of overprotecting. What you're going to find with our girl here is that there's a lot of great things about her, a lot of good things going on in her life and her story and all this great stuff. But there are some things she is overprotective of, just like you. Like, you got stuff you're overprotective of, don't you? Some of you, it's your car, right? 
Like, you don't be parking in the south lot across the railroad tracks. You park, like, four miles away and walk in because you got to protect the vehicle, you know? Some of you like, I ain't got a car. I ain't got to be. I know, but you're protective, of, you're protective of your shoes. Some of you, some of you carry plastic bags in your pocket just in case it rains so you cover up your shoes on the way out. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, 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 me too. Uh, like, the thing is this, is that, that you all got stuff. We all got stuff. I'm protected from my golf clubs. Don't look at my golf clubs with a crazy eye. Like, I will, mm, they may get a bad, you know, like, don't be doing that. We're protective of things. Some of you overprotective of, like, like your iPad. Don't touch your iPad. Don't, t- don't touch my phone. Do not, no, you don't get my password. Do not. No, leave your little grubby hands off my, <laughs> my phone. We're over. It's not just protective. It's good to be protective. But when you get overprotective, some negative things can happen. See, I'm sort of a note taker, so I may say some things you could write down, type down if you want to. If you don't want to, that's fine. But if I were writing things down, I would write this thing down. That overprotecting inhibits future greatness through present control. Overprotecting, when you overprotect something, what you do is this. You inhibit future greatness, the greatness that could be, the greatness that could come, the things that could be awesome that are literally just a step away. You limit those. Why? Because you control it so much in the present. And that's what our little friend does here. This lady in 2 Kings. Now, for some of you, this is going to be like more Bible than you have read in one sitting, like ever. Uh, in fact, I was thinking about it, like, actually just a minute ago, and I, I, I got to speak in here about two years ago, and I preached on one verse. In fact, it wasn't even the whole verse, it was part of it. Uh, we're going to make up for it tonight. Uh, like, we're going we to read, like, half of the Old Testament. Um, some of y'all are sad. Like, it's about that much. Now, we're going to read uh, a good bit this 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 story. I just want to read the story to rather than break it up for you and kind of tell you a little bit, because we're just going to dance back to it in a minute. So if you can brace with me, it's a fun story. Like, you'll like it. Like, if you can just, before I start reading, picture Medea in your mind. <laughs> and then let's read 2 Kings chapter 4. I think they got these verses. I know they got these verses up there. We're going to start. Where are we going to start? Verse 8 sounds good. All right, let's start at verse 8. Here's where it is. It says, one day, Elisha, he's the prophet. He's like the man of God. He's, a, he's an important part of this. He went to Shunem. A prominent woman who lived there persuaded him to eat some food. She invited him over there. So whenever he passed by, he stopped there to eat, right? They didn't have restaurants. He'd just go by her house. Then she said to her husband, I know that the one who often passes by here is a holy man of God. So let's make a small room upstairs and put a bed, a table, a chair, a lamp. Therefore, you got a plan. Whenever he comes, he can stay there. Doesn't that sound like Medea? Like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put a lamp, table, chair, you know, all this kind of stuff. That's it, that's it. Verse 11, it says, one day he came there and stopped and went up to the room upstairs to lie down. He ordered his attendant, Gehazi, that's his little, his little right-hand guy, call the shoe to my woman. So he called her and she stood before him. Then he said to Gehazi, say to her, look, you've gone to all this trouble for us. What can we do for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of an army? She answered, I am living among my own people. In other words, no. <laughs> so he asked, then what should be done for her? Gehazi answered, well, well, she has no son, and her husband is old. Okay. Call her, Elisha said. So Gehazi called her, and she stood at the doorway. Elisha said, at this time next year, you will have a son in your arms. I love his next little line. Then she said, no, my lord. <laughs> I think that's how she said it. Like, like she will frustrate. No, my lord. Man of God, do not deceive your servant. I love that. Name. Man of God, like, come on, yeah. Man of God, do not deceive your servant. Then the woman conceived. 
<laughs> he gave birth to a son at the same time the following year in Elisha, as Elisha had promised him her. Verse 18, here we go. We'll move on. The child grew and one day went out to his father and to the harvesters. Suddenly he complained to his father, my head, my head, he's got a headache, right? His father told his servant what every father has always said, carry him to his mother. <laughs> so he picked him up and took him to his mother. The child sat on her lap until about noon and then died. Then she went and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut him in and left. She summoned her husband and said, please send me one of the servants with one of the donkeys so I can hurry to the man of God and come back. But he said, why go to him today? Is it not a new moon or a Sabbath? Or where are you going? She goes, everything is all right. Really? Then she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, hurry, don't slow the pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out and went to the man of God at Carmel. When the man of God saw her at a distance, he said to his attendant, Gehazi, look, there's the Shunammite woman. Run to meet her and ask her, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your son all right? And she answered, everything is all right. When she came up to the man of God of the mountain, she clung to his feet. Gehazi came to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She is in severe anguish and the Lord is hidden from me. Why she is doing it. He hasn't told me. Verse 29, it says, Then she said, Did I ask my Lord for a son? Didn't I say, Do not deceive me? So Elisha said to Gehazi, Tucking your mantle under your belt, take my staff with you and go. If you meet anyone, don't stop to greet him. If a man greets you, don't answer him. Then place my staff at the boy's feet. The boy's mother said to Elisha, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So he got up and followed her. Gehazi went ahead of them and placed the staff on the boy's face, but there was no sign of life. So he went back to Elisha and told them, and the boy didn't wake up. When Elisha got to the house, he discovered the boy lying on the bed. So he went and closed the door behind them, behind the two of them, and he prayed to the Lord. This part's a little weird. I'm going to tell you, and then we're going to be done. <laughs> it says, then he went up to lay on the boy. He put his mouth to his mouth, eye to his eye, hand to his hand. While he bent down over him, the boy's flesh became warm. Elisha got up, walked into the house, and paced back and forth. Then he went up, bent down over him again, and the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Then Elisha called Gehazi and said, call the my woman. He called her, and she came. Then Elisha said, pick up your son. She came, fell at his feet, bowed to the ground. She picked up her son and left. Some of you are like, I just did my Bible reading from like now, so maybe Jesus comes back. I know, I know. But I needed you to get this story about an overprotective Shunammite woman. Because the things that we overprotect can literally inhibit future growth. In fact, if I could share with you what the definition is of being overprotective, because half of it you won't understand, and half of it you probably forgot was there. This is the definition, if you will. It means to protect more than necessary, right? Overprotective, to protect more than necessary. But look at the second half. To shield excessively as to inhibit development. That when you or I or anybody, this shooter, my woman, are overprotective of things, overprotective of people, overprotective of stuff, what can actually happen is not just that we're protecting it more than necessary, but what actually happens is our development gets halted. Like how God may be trying to grow us, how he may be trying to stretch us, gets halted because we're so overprotective. So, of what? Well, there are at least a few things here that this Shunammite woman is overprotective of, and quite honestly, you are and I am too. If you're taking notes, you can write these couple things down. If you're not, then, then I'll just reference that for the people that are. But here's one thing we overprotect. We overprotect our comfort, right? We overprotect our comfort. In fact, I wrote these two things down. I said, your life may not be that great. 
<laughs> but you're comfortable with it, aren't you? Like, when you really think objectively about your life, it's like, man, my life really isn't all that good, but at least it's mine. <laughs> you know? Like, it is mine. Like, I at least know what to expect. I mean, it's sorry those people knock on our door the third Thursday of every month and try to talk about how we got to leave, but it's my life. I at least know what to expect. We get overprotective of our comfort. We overprotect our life sometimes, even if our life isn't that good. In fact, some of us, we overprotect our faith, even if our faith isn't that good. It's like, I like my relationship with God like this, because I know what that means when this happens and that happens and that happens. And I ain't about to take a different step. I ain't about to trust him more. I ain't about to try something. No, 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 no. I like it like this. What a lot of us do is we overprotect our comfort. Even if there's the possibility that taking a step outside of what's comfortable could bring us joy, could bring us hope, could make life better. We don't want to take that step. Why? Because taking that step might disrupt the comfort that we currently experience. See, here's what you may not know about this Shunammite woman. Now, some things I'm going to say are a little, a little historically accurate. I ain't saying they're right for now. But in that day, can I tell you how they viewed women? I mean, I know we got, we got, we got issues still about equality among genders, equality among a lot of people, a lot of it. We still got issues. But in this day, they viewed women simply as one thing, people who can make babies. That was it. The only value in their mind they saw a woman bringing to humanity, to civilization, was the ability to produce children. Specifically, boys. Because the men ruled. And this woman, it defines her as a, as a lady who has an old husband. We don't know if she's real old or if she's real young. It sounds like he's older and wealthy and she's maybe a little younger. That's typically what would happen in that day. You would have men much older, marry women much younger. That's just sort of how it went in that day. And she is now to a point to where it would seem that having a kid is probably not in the cards for her. Right? Because it actually defines her not only as a Shunammite woman, but as a Shunammite woman who does not have a kid. Right? That's what it, it talks about her. She's a Shunammite woman who doesn't have a kid. She's wealthy, but when Gehazi's trying to think through, okay, what about her? What do we know? What do we know? What do we know? Maybe, maybe she needs somebody to talk to somebody about her. She's like, no, man, my husband is loaded. I don't need you to talk to nobody. Like, we're good. We're good. And then Gehazi starts thinking, he's like, oh, 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 oh. She doesn't have a son. In other words, she doesn't have anything she's contributing to society, and that may affect the way she views herself. And so when the man of God says, hey, you're going to have a son. You would think, right? Like, you would think that this woman would be like, Woo! you know, if you got church day, she would go. You know what I'm saying? Like, like she would, like, she would be so excited because now she's going to get to have the thing that everybody had always promised her she was going to get to have. And everybody had already told her she would be great if she was able to have. And she's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Man, a guy, you best not be deceiving me. And then what is that? Yeah. Revised translation, but something like that. <laughs> you don't know. Don't deceive. No. Why? Because she was comfortable. It wasn't ideal, but she was comfortable. She would rather be the rich old lady who doesn't have a son than perhaps follow this journey of trusting God outside of her comfort and get six months into the process only to find that the baby that was inside of her has now passed away. Or to get her hopes up that God may do this thing, and then he doesn't. 
And that's why when the man of God, Elisha, looks at her and says, hey, I got to say, you're going to have a son. Rather than get excited, she's like, man, man, God, do not deceive me. Don't do it. Why? Because she was overprotecting her comfort. Here's the problem. Future greatness will disrupt present comfort every time. Every time. Greatness tomorrow for you is going to disrupt your comfort today. You, 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 want, to, you want to know what it means to trust God more? Guess what? It's going to disrupt your comfort today. You want to know what it looks like to see an A at the end of the semester as opposed to like a C minus-ish, you know? Uh, then guess what? It's going to disrupt your present comfort. Because future greatness always disrupts your present comfort. I love it when it gets cold. It's hot as mug in here, but I love it when it gets cold, right? Like, what happened outside? Like, two days ago, it was awesome. You know what I'm saying? Like, two days ago, it was, it's like, great. It's 51. It was like a chill day. It was wonderful. Suddenly, it opened it great. And now it's, ugh, what happened? What? But I love it when it gets cold. I especially love to sleep cold. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, I love it. Like, if they can figure out, like, refrigerators for people to sleep in, this would be incredible. <laughs> uh, because I like, I like it cold, and then, like, you pull the covers over you, not so you're warm, but just so you're, like, blocked out of that bite in the air. Because I really honestly want a bite in the air. I want it so cold. And, and get under these covers with a bite in the air, and then you wake up in the morning, and it's just, oh, it's heaven, right? It's heaven. If your heaven's going to be, like, 95, we are not in the same heaven. You know? <laughs> I'm going to be on the other end, you know? But, like, like it's, I love that. In fact, when, when I experience that, which never happens at my house because my wife likes it way too hot and, and, and it's expensive to run the air like that. So I'm in a hotel out of town. Uh, then, we'll, then we'll experience this. But when I, when I experience this, uh, I have this thought, right? And maybe you've had this thought. Like, I could stay in this bed all day long, right? You ever get that, like, perfect, comfortable, like, I can just stay here all day long. All day long. And I think that and I feel that, but here's the problem. If I stayed there all day long, I would do nothing, right? Like I would accomplish nothing. Nobody would get help. Nothing would get done, whatever I was supposed to do. Like it wouldn't happen. Like what if, what if, what if even tonight, like I'm supposed to be here. I told Matt I would come, but what if I had like texted him about 7, about 7.48 and been like, man, like it's real cold in my house right now. Like, and I'm under the covers. Man, it's just perfect. Like, like I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't leave. I would accomplish nothing because I was overprotecting something that was comfortable. That's what our friend did. She overprotected what's comfortable. Can I be honest? That's what many of us do. When we find whatever is comfortable for us, like I'm comfortable trusting God like this. I'm comfortable being bold about my faith like this. Like I'm comfortable serving kind of like this. I'm comfortable as a student. I'm comfortable as an employee. I'm comfortable like, like, like this. And whenever we find what's comfortable, we often will overprotect it. Don't, don't come into my comfort zone. No. We overprotect. I wrote this down. That when you overprotect your comfort, you restrict your potential. You restrict your potential. See, this woman... And her overprotection of her comfort almost restricted the potential that God had given her to have the son that she had always wanted. But she had grown so cold to the idea because she wanted to protect her comfort. 
I wrote this question down. But what could God do through you if you trusted him enough to let go of your comfort? What could he do through you? What might he be trying to do through you? Who might he be trying to reach? How might he want to use your influence? Use your, use your connection. Use, your, use the opportunity that he's uniquely given you. What might God want to do through you if you would just step out of what's comfortable and into something different? We overprotect our comfort. Here's the second thing we overprotect if you're writing these down. We overprotect our blessings. Our blessings. Right? The good stuff that happens. Now, we don't think about these things all year long. But here in about, eh, I don't know, give it three and a half weeks, everybody's going to be talking about how thankful they are and how blessed they are, uh, really, until the end of the year. And then you won't hear anything about it for another 10 and a half, 11 months, you know? But, but in this season, we start thinking about how blessed we are, right? Because I'm thankful for our, my family. No, you're not. You just need something to post, right? Like, you just need an image for Instagram. And your grandmama was sitting over there, and you thought, hey, why not? You know, like, 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 yeah, you're really thankful for her. You want something? You know what I'm saying? Too real. My bad. My bad. But we do. We start thinking about being, being thankful, don't we? We start thinking about how, oh, man, I'm just thankful for school, thankful for my friends. Thankful for my job that I never show up on time for and I'm always trying to leave early from. Thankful for my job. Like, what? <laughs> what? We get thankful. It's interesting, though, these blessings that we have, we often overprotect them. Like, we hold on to them tightly. Like, you ain't, you ain't about to touch this because a blessing. You ever thought about what a blessing actually is? Like, like something you're blessed with. Some of you are blessed with some incredible talents. Guess what? God gave you those. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't make yourself with that. No, 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 no. God gave you that. You worked on what he gave you, but he gave you something he didn't give everybody. He blessed you, and that's fine. Some of you have been blessed with an incredible mind. Like, school is, is easy. You don't even like to talk about it much because it makes everybody else feel like, wah, wah. But you've been, like, you're just smart, right? Like, you're just smart. And, and that's fine. God gave you a mind, and he, he blessed you with this. This is awesome. So maybe you've been blessed with, uh, maybe you've been blessed, honestly, financially in your life. Maybe your parents took incredible care of you and have resourced you so that way you can, you can put your attention on literally, literally whatever you want to focus on. Like you're here because you wanted to be here. Cool. You were blessed. You know, that's the thing about a blessing. You didn't, you didn't deserve it. You didn't, you didn't create it. You didn't, you, you didn't trick someone into giving it to you. You just, you got it. You were blessed. It's interesting, though, because those things that we realize, I don't know where, I don't know how, it just math makes sense. I don't know. I don't know how, man. I can just, I can just throw the ball 75 yards. Like, I just don't even know how. Like, like I'm just, I just got it. Something that we understand we received so freely, it's interesting how tightly we hold to these things. And how things that we've been blessed with. We didn't do nothing to get. Like nothing to get. The whole world tightly. Two. Here's the problem. If we treat our blessings as if we deserve them, we lose sight of their source. See, that's what happens sometimes when people are successful out of the things they were blessed with. Is they forgot the one who gave them that. 
My English is terrible. They forgot the one who gave it to them. We forget the source sometimes, right? Like sometimes we can get so overprotective of our blessing that we actually forget who blessed us in the first place. We, we treat our blessings as if we deserve them. We lose sight of our responsibility with them too. Do you know that everything you've been blessed with, there's a responsibility attached to it? Like some of you hope and dream, but like, like when you graduate from this place and you get a job, like hopefully in about three to five years out of here, I'm going to be making some bank, like some real, real money. You know what I'm talking about? Good. Did you know that that comes, that blessing comes with a responsibility? It does. Some of you are going to be blessed to have a family, right? To have a wife, to have a husband, to have these little small people that run around and they call kids that you're responsible for. You're going to be, you're going to be blessed in this way. Great, great. It comes with responsibility. Blessing doesn't just come with a, oh, look at me, card attached to it. It comes with responsibility. See, the Shunammite woman, she forgot this. Do you remember her? Remember her? We read half the Bible and she was all of it. Uh, <laughs> she might want it. She had this thing spoken over her, right? Like, you're going to have a son. And literally just said it so matter-of-factly. Like, that time the next year, she had a son. She did. It was awesome. He grew up a little bit. And then one day, you remember the story that was in there? Because it's funny, man. Men have a change. Like, like, he's out, like, in the field working with his dad. And he has a headache, and the dad's like, man, I ain't got time for that. I can talk to your mom, right? Like, like, and he does. He sends the boy to mom. And mom holds him, you know, and she's so happy to have her son because it, it pulled her outside of her comfort zone. But now that he's here and everything's done, she's, she's got a new comfort zone, and it's in being mom. She's got a new comfort zone, and now it's being the one who, who is wealthy and has a son. How you like me now? You know, like, <laughs> like, like she's, she's got it. And then at noon, he... He does. And who she was blessed with is now taken from her. And what I find interesting is her response from there. Do you remember her response? I know I read it kind of fast and we're sort of joking through because again, 30 verses. When was the last time you read 30 verses in a city? You know, like, like, but here's what she did. She took him, took him upstairs to the bed, the little room where the man of God went, sat him there and locked him in. And then told her husband, I'm taking the car. He's like, where are you going? To see the man of God. And he's like, well, it is not Sunday or Christmas Eve. What are you doing all the church? You know what I mean? Like, like that's sort of, that was sort of, if I could help you with what they did. That's what they said. And she's like, don't worry about it. Everything's fine. And she gets in the car and gone, right? I mean, they go with it. And then she gets to the servant of the man of God who's like, you know, at the gate, like, you want to see the man of God? What's wrong? And she's like, everything's fine. You know, he drives on up to where he is. And she gets all the way to where the man of God is. And this is, again, it's interesting up to this point. It gets really interesting then. She starts talking like this. These are the first words out of her mouth. If you remember, read again later on. It's in the middle of it, right? She says this. Why did you take him from me? I told you I didn't want him. She's not frustrated that her son is dead. She's frustrated that her blessing is gone. It's all about her. It's all about what was taken from her. Not what she lost as a mom. 
but the fact that her blessing was taken from her. Why? Because we overprotect. She overprotected her blessing. And here's what she would have understood as somebody who was a part of this culture. She would have understood the story of Abraham and Isaac. Some of you may be familiar with this. Some of you may not. It's a weird story in the Old Testament. There's a story of a man who's like the father of these people, right? He's, he's like the granddaddy, granddaddy, way back when, right? And he's 75 years old, and God tells him, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And Abraham's like, but I have no kids, <laughs> you know? And God's like, I'm going I'm to bless you. You're going to have kids. Well, he's 100 years old when he finally has a kid. 25 years he waits. He has this boy, and he calls him Isaac. When Isaac's like 10 or 12 years old, God tells him, I want you to take your son that I promised you that you're going to need to be able to be turned into a great nation, which I also promised you. And I want you to walk up this hill here, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. Again, I know it's weird. I could explain a lot, but they didn't give me that kind of time. Like, uh, and so he does this. He goes up the hill, and he's getting ready to sacrifice his son that he was promised to God who's asking him to sacrifice the son that he needs to be able to be the father of many people, of many nations. And right before he sacrifices him, this ram comes out, and he's able to sacrifice the ram, and Isaac lives, and everything's fine. But he was willing to. He was willing to take what God had blessed him with and offer it back to God because he realized that God was the source of his blessing. And if God blessed him once, he could bless him again. He realized that the blessing that he had wasn't his to hold, but his to stew. Like it wasn't his to hold on tightly and to overprotect and make sure nothing happens. But really just to simply use as God would let him. You see, many of us with our blessings... What happens is we start to think they're all about us. We think it's all about what it can bring me. I've met people who were blessed musically that wouldn't use their gift for God unless there was a check on the back end, like afterwards, like off the side of the stage. I've I've met people who were blessed financially, who had the means to be able to help a need that they saw but chose to, no, I'm good. And they forgot that they didn't actually create the circumstances that enabled them to be blessed. They were just the recipient of a blessing. And that God may ask for part or all of that blessing back because he's trying to do something not just to you, but through you. Yeah. See, I wrote this down. When you overprotect your blessings, what happens is you restrict your generosity. So the question I have is this. What might God be wanting to get through you that has stopped with you? Some of you have talents that God has blessed you with. Maybe artistically. I don't know. Maybe, maybe with the ability to think. Maybe with the ability to connect. Maybe with the ability to build and to program and design. Maybe with the ability just to connect to people like nobody can. But you only use it for your own good. And you're taking the blessing that God has given you and you're letting it stop with you. Rather than maybe thinking that it's something God wants to do through me. That this thing he brought to me wasn't to stop with me. See, what happens is, is we not only overprotect our comfort, we overprotect our, our blessing. Third thing we overprotect. And then I'll be done. Is this. A little surprising because it's a little different than the, the, the first two, to be honest. But our, our, our friend here, she does it. So clearly, we overprotect our comfort. We overprotect our, our what was that second one? Our blessings. I never forgot, man. It happens when you do this. Uh, but we overprotect our 
are hurt. Are hurt. Yeah, are are hurt. Pain. We over protected. We don't want anybody to know what we're hurting, do we? Right? That's why when we get sick, we lock the door to our room and ain't nobody coming in. I'll be out in about four days. You know? Like, like I'll see y'all then. Give me some Theraflu and I'll be fine, but we ain't going to talk till this, this goes, right? Because I'm hurt. I mean, the most natural reaction, like if something were to happen to your hand, you grab it covered up, right? Like, like my son is, is, is still young, but man, when he gets a little cut on his hand, he just grabs it and covers it up. You're like, that's to stop the blood flow. He doesn't know that. He just wants to cover it up. He doesn't want anybody to see it. In fact, in fact, like two days ago, he came from home from school, and he had this little circle that was purple right under his lip over here on the corner, right? I mean, I thought the dude had, like, rubbed some blueberry on himself. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, well, God. I was like, what is on you? And he's like, I don't know. And I was like, it's weird, like a little blood vessel or something popped. And he's all, man, he's like the color of Casper the Ghost. And so, like, like he's pale and, and stuff shows. And, and he didn't realize that it was even on him. So when I'm talking about it, trying to wipe it off and it ain't coming off, I'm like, oh, dude, I guess you, like, bit your lip or something. And that showed up on the outside. He started walking around covering it up like this, walking around the house. He didn't want anybody to see it. Be like, Tucker, you can walk around like that for like three weeks? You know? Be like, what up, what up, what up, y'all? You know, like, is that what you're going to do? It may be. Maybe that's what he does. I don't know. Like, but he didn't want anybody to see it. Because that's what we do when we're hurt, right? I mean, some of you, that's why it was hard to come tonight, because you're hurting. And you really just didn't want to have anybody like ask you, how's your week been? Because you're like, it sucks. Like, this week sucked. And, and I don't really want to answer this question. And so I'm just going to stay at my place, and I'll see y'all in a couple weeks. You know? Because that's what we do when we hurt. We hide. We cover it up. It's the most natural response when you're hurting. It's to cover it up. But can I tell you something? It's also the most damaging the most damaging thing you can do when you're hurting is to cover up that hurt. But that is exactly what the Shunammite woman did. Didn't she? Remember when son dies? She's hurting, right? I mean, I'm not trying to paint her in a bad light. There are a lot of great qualities about her. We could run this thing back and only talk about her good side. Like, Mia got a good side and a bad side, but we're just going with the bad side. You know, like, like and, and her son dies. She runs to the man of God. And it's interesting. Her son dies. And she doesn't even tell her husband. You don't think he would have hurt? I mean, come on. Like, I, I know I made fun of him because he's like, go talk to your mom. Man, I don't care about your headache. Like, like, but dads care too. You know, like we do. Like, she didn't even tell her husband. The man of God's attendant runs out and he's like, can we help you? And she's like, everything is fine. And then she gets to the man of God and she's like, Why? Have you hurt me like this? Like she let out frustration on him. When really all she had been doing for the however long it took her to get from her house to where the Managawa is covering up her hurt. It's natural. But it's destructive. It's natural. But you ain't ever getting healing you know, the funny thing is, is when we're hurt, we try to cover it up. I think we think that most people have no idea that we're hurting, right? That's what we think. Like, they don't know. They don't know. They don't know. And guess what? We know. We all know. Every one of us know. We can see it. Why? 
Because we've seen ourselves hurting too, you know? And we know what we look like. We know how our attitude, we know how our, our disposition, our countenance, it just, it just changes a little bit. We know that you're normally like that, but right now you're like this, and it's just, eh, it ain't right. It ain't right. We think we can cover it up. We think we can fool people, but we can't. This woman did. She thought she had juked Gehazi because he was like, hey, no, everything's fine. And Gehazi's like, everything is not fine. What do you want me to do? You know, like, like he didn't know what to do. Because we think we can cover it up. A couple of years ago, I was leading this, um, I was leading this meeting. So uh, part of what you do as a pastor, wonder you had a lot of meetings, right? Because you got to get these people, these people, these people, these people. This was years ago when I was in Texas, and uh, we had this meeting, this group of people I met with monthly. And um, like you guys have the, the life groups that meet. This was a meeting of people that led a bunch of different groups. Uh, and, and I met with them regularly, typically, you know, about once a month or so. And um, so we were used to being around one another. And we would have these meetings a lot of times at people's house just to make it more comfortable. These people with jobs or they were in school or all kinds of stuff. So, so we were at these people's house and we were going to grill out, eat, and kind of have a meeting while you eat because that's just what we do. We eat. Have you noticed every announcement you had involved food? Like that is, a, that is just like a church thing, right? Like this is what we do. And, and so we were going to grill out and then we we're going to meet. And I don't have many talents, but I can grill. Like, I can group. Like, yes. You know? Like, I got that. Like, I ain't got much else. I really don't. But, but I can grill. Uh, like, I, I, I can't bake a potato, but I can grill. I can grill. And so, we had planned to grill, and I was going to, of course, grill. Uh, only problem was we weren't at my house or anybody's house that I'd ever been to using their grill before. And this particular grill contraption that was in the back, I had never seen anything like it in my life. See, my, my grill has like a lid and like some buttons and a, you know, and then everything's on. Like, that's the way it works, right? I've also seen, seen grills that work slightly different than that. But this thing looked like a, it looked like a giant piece of medicine, right? <laughs> like, like it was like a cylinder. It was like round on the top and round on the bottom and like this. And it wouldn't light. Like, it had charcoal in it and some stuff. And, I mean, we're, like, throwing matches in it. I can't get it to light. It's like, light. Got the lighter fluid. Light, you know? And it's not doing it. And this is Texas. And maybe you're from Texas. Maybe you've been by. But it's always windy. Always windy. So the wind's blowing in. And I'm thinking, man, it's the wind. Like, we got to figure out a way to block the wind. But these people had lived, like, in this house that was sort of in a new area. And they killed all the trees. No fence. It was just air, you know, and it's like everywhere, and it's stopping my fire game, and I'm trying to figure this out, I'm getting frustrated, because I got a grill, I got to show my one talent on this grill, and I can't get the thing lit, so I start looking around it, and I notice on the bottom, there's this hole, like on the bottom, kind of on the side, like this, and I'm like, oh, I got this, like I got to figure it out, this is what I'm saying, I took the lighter fluid, and we put it on the charcoal, and I put more on the charcoal, because if you've ever used lighter fluid, you just use it in excess until it starts working, right, I doused this sucker, like it was so wet, and I decided, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to actually close the lid because that'll keep the wind from doing it. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to light a match, and there's this little hole. I mean, about like this, about the size of like a Coke can, right? And I'm going to stick the match in the bottom, and it's going to be perfect because the, the thing is blocking the wind and the lighter fluid and the charcoal on the inside. And so I like, man, when you're frustrated, sometimes you just do stuff. And, and, I, and I go to throw the match in, and I promise you, before the match even like got inside of it, it caught fire. 
with about a gallon of lighter fluid and all this charcoal. And because the lid was top, the fire had nowhere to go and all this air and combustion and just it wanted to light just as much as I wanted it to. Came rushing out this little hole on the bottom. And it was just like, light. Just out. Like just this explosion of fire came out. And my arm, this one that is attached, caught on fire. Like, I'm not a hairy dude, but every hair from my elbow down was gone. Just like, into the, and I, I, like I yelled. And also, these people came outside, they're like, is everything okay? And I'm like, yeah, it's fine. It's fine, go in, go in. And then I got somebody else to come out. I was like, hey, hey I'm going to use the bathroom. You think you can, uh, you think you can grill these burgers? The, the, the fire's on. It's on. And I go into the bathroom, and I probably, I just sit there on my arm for about 25 minutes. Just These people cook the burgers. They eat the burgers. They're waiting for the meeting. They need me for the meeting. Somebody comes by and knocks on the bathroom door. You okay? Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Well, I told them. I was watching my arm hurt so bad. Like, like I don't remember being in that much pain since then. It hurt so bad. They're like, everybody's ready to meet. And I'm like, be on a minute. Just use it in the restroom. Water been on for 25 minutes. <laughs> you know, like, they know. They know. I turn the water off and I walk in. I'm like, everybody eat good. You know, all right. And I sit down on the couch. I keep my arm behind me. And we go through the meeting and. I think, I think I fooled everybody. I think nobody knows, even though they're all sitting around there going, yeah, that smells like his hair burn. That's wrong. You know, like they're sitting around, and the meeting is done, and I, I get back to the house, and I get back to the house, and my wife was at the house, and she's like, is your arm okay? I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, well, everybody at the meeting that was there was texting me, being like, you really need to check on Michael's arm, because I think he burned it off, but he won't show up. You know? <laughs> and like, I was like, what? I was like, I thought I had them all fooled. They're like, no. And I promise you, every time I saw these people for like the next like three weeks, they're like, is your arm okay? I'm like, yeah, it's fine. I, th- I, th- I thought I was hiding it from you. I want to hide it from you. You can see. You can smell it. Right? It's funny how it's goofy with an arm that's on fire. That's exactly what we do with our hurts. Is what she did. What I did. Is that we try to hide it try to hide Rather than realizing that the healing God might want to bring to you, he might bring through someone near you. That's what the scripture says in the book of James. He may actually bring it through someone. We want to hide our hurts because that's just what you do. Right? It's normal. Right? Just, you just hide it. Hide it until it gets better. Hide it till the weather changes. Hide it till this season passes. You just, you just, you just hide it. The problem is when you Overprotect your hurt, you restrict your healing. See, this isn't about your potential. This is about your healing. And some of you, the reason you've been hurting for months or years is because you've never shown people that you're hurting. Told people that you're hurting. Let people know that, you know what? Every time somebody mentions dad, Something on the inside of me hurts because I didn't have a dad. Or I had a dad there, but he wasn't a dad. Every time somebody talks about the holidays and how fun they are, they ain't fun. They ain't fun. Like, it's only been for me recently that I can actually enjoy Thanksgiving and Christmas. 
Because I can remember too many Thanksgiving and Christmases. When I was in college, I had literally nowhere to go. Nowhere to go. Like, my family was, like, you don't want anything to do with that. And it was like, and I was, I was embarrassed to, like, be like, hey, I have nowhere to go for Christmas. Can I come to your house? You know, like, that felt embarrassing. So every time Christmas would roll around, I'd think about it. Even though I had a wife and a kid and people that loved me. Remember that Christmas? Where you sit in your dorm room, watch a parade. What nut open? Made some cereal. <laughs> you know? Remember that? Man. It hurt. And what I never realized for a while is that hiding my hurt was actually limiting my healing. And there are people that what God wanted to bring into my life. There was healing that he wanted to do that I was literally restricting by trying to hide it. Some of you have hurts that you're carrying right now. And you've overprotected them. And you're limiting your own healing. See, this overprotecting idea is a big deal. If I could remind you of the definition we started with a moment ago, to overprotect is to protect more than necessary. We know that. But it's also to shield excessively as to inhibit development. Some of you, there's growth that God wants to do. But it's going to require you stepping out of what's comfortable into what's uncomfortable. May mean new friends. May mean a new, new little, little place. May mean, may mean new priorities. May mean an earlier wake-up call. May mean, may mean a different... I don't know what it means. But it may be leaving what's comfortable in order to step into something that's a little different, it's a little new, it's a little... But you're never going to grow here. Never going to change here. That's a step. Some of you, you've got a, you've been overprotecting the blessing. And there's something God wasn't just trying to get to you; He wanted to get through you. Maybe you need to say, God, this blessing you gave me, I realize it's not just for me. But there's somebody you want to do something in their life through what you brought to me. So whatever you've placed in my hands, I will return back to you. Some of you, what you're overprotective of is you're hurt. You've been hurt. Came in here carrying hurt. And you thought you were fooling people. No, they know. And they love you. And they care for you. And they're going to keep loving you. Keep caring. But I'm here to tell you, you will never find healing. You will never find healing. So you stop protecting it so much. Step I don't know how you guys typically end, but I just want to ask you a question, very simply, and then we'll pray for you. But what are you overprotecting tonight? Some of you, it's your comfort. It's time to take a step. It's time to do it. It's time to do it. Some of you, it's something God has brought to you. It's a, it's a blessing. And it's time to quit holding on to that and say, God, man, you gave me this. I'm going to use it for the honor of your name. Some of you, it's a hurt. You need to realize there are people in this room, people connected to God that love you. They're not here to judge you. They're here to see the healing that God has been trying to bring to you for weeks, months, or years. Happen. Out of here. What are you overprotecting? 
Because whatever it is, you are limiting the very next thing that God wants to do through you. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. God, I thank you for these incredible students. Some of them I know, and I know real well. And some of them, I don't know who they are at all. They're like, who is this dude? But, but God, what I know is that your word is true and it's alive and it speaks to us right where we are. And God, I just pray for any student tonight who is overprotecting something, be it their comfort, be it their blessing, be it their hurt, whatever they're overprotecting. God, help us to not be like this woman from Shunem who held on to it. But God, let us be, let us be people who trust you enough to let it go. To not hold on to our comfort, but will follow you in the deep and troubled waters. Who will not hold on to our blessings so tightly that we're not able to be a blessing to someone else. Who do not hold on to our hurt so tightly that things that happened months, years ago continue to sabotage healing and hope and joy and future you're trying to bring to us today. God, I speak healing over their life. God, and I pray that you will help them very simply let it go trust you with it. Whatever it is to let it go, trust you with it. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. In the precious name, amen. Amen.